Hi, folks. It's Rabbi Sharon Brouse here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, everyone. It's so good to be with you. Um, just a few thoughts tonight um, as we come to the close of Sefer Shemot of the book of Exodus this week, we read a double parsha. It's Vayakel Pekude. And as the Torah comes, as this, as this particular book of the Torah comes to a close, it says, Vayichas anan et ohel moed. Um, the cloud of the cloud uh, covered over the tent of the meeting. Uchvod Hashem at a mishkan, and and God's uh, God's glory, God's presence filled the mishkan, the tabernacle. So you, you know the book of um, of Exodus began with Israel's descent into slavery, and it ends now with God's presence in the desert, in this sacred space that the people have created. And I've always been so moved by Ramban, by Nachmanides' uh, attempt to understand what's going on here, because he says so powerfully that it's important that we know that, that Israel's exile did not end when they were left let out of enslavement in Egypt. And it also did not end when they arrived in the promised land. It ended when they entered into covenant with God. It entered when they were able to create sacred space that God would come and dwell in. And I just want to ask you to think about that for a minute, about what it means that the end of exile was not when we got home. It was when we entered into covenant, because that meant that we could actually create home anywhere. And so what we see it now is the arc of a, of a book, one of the best books ever written, the book of, the, of, the book of Exodus. It's our national story. It's our personal story. It begins with enslavement. It ends with liberation. It begins with gnut, as we say, with struggle and degradation. It ends with shebach, with elevation and exaltation and glory. It's kind of building into our muscle memory the idea that, that things change, that history changes, that things can get better, that even in the deepest struggle, there can be a, a triumph. There, there can be a there. There can be, and there will be, a way to reclaim glory. So I'm thinking about it a lot um, now. Here we are, one year into pandemic, and I wanted to share with you tonight that um, that a couple of weeks into the um, into the safer at home or stay at home orders last year. I was asked by a friend of mine, by Wajahat Ali, who's uh, who we call Waj, um, to answer a question. He asked a bunch of friends, clergy and writers, to answer this question. The prompt was, we will emerge, dot, dot, dot. And we were asked to, to basically offer our wildest dreams of what, of what would happen when we eventually emerged from our isolation. And, and I was super earnest. <laughs> I was super earnest back then. Now I'm now I'm old and jaded, but last year at this time. But anyway, here's what I wrote. I found it. And I wanted to share it with you now a year later. I said, we will emerge more loving. The morning after the virus passes, we will mourn the world that we've lost. And then we'll build a new world rooted in the lessons that we finally learned. 
like the realization that we're all connected by an invisible web of humanity that crosses land and sea, and the awareness that the judge of a society is not how we treat the most powerful, but how we care for the most vulnerable. And the irrefutable truth that when we allow profit and political expedience to supersede moral responsibility, when we let our indignation slip into quiet resignation, people die. The new world that we create will upend the systems of oppression and inequity, cruelty and callousness that have been laid bare in this crisis. In that new world, we will pay teachers what they deserve. We will treat medical professionals like the superheroes they are. We will honor farm workers and grocery workers and garbage workers and postal workers as essential and invaluable because they are. The new world will be rooted in the shared knowledge that we must live responsibly and sustainably on this planet. In this new world, we will know that our bodies are precious and that touch is sacred, and our eyes will be trained to see beauty and poetry everywhere. After all of the loss and dislocation, the brokenness and the grief, we will emerge and we will build a world rooted in love. I wanna say a couple things about that tonight. First of all, you've heard me talk about this now for a year, so some of this is not new to you. But when I wrote that last year, I had no idea how awful the toll of this thing would be. One full year apart, more than half a million Americans dead from this, from this virus and millions of people dead around the world. We had no idea what we were stepping into. And even when I wrote these words, I knew that what I was writing was an impossible dream, the kind of dream that you kind of have to say anyway, because we know in our hearts that change never comes until we dream impossible dreams. But in my heart, even when I wrote this, I remember fearing that as soon as we were able to emerge from this, we would so quickly revert to the world as it was and not even strive anymore for the world as it could be. But here we are now, it's a full year later, and it's not over yet. We haven't emerged yet. But this week, through sheer force of will, some pretty significant things have happened that are hinting at the trajectory that we're now on. Millions and millions of people have now been vaccinated. And we are told by someone who I trust that every American will be able to be vaccinated by May. It's unimaginable, and yet it is happening. And through sheer force of will, a bill was passed that then became law this week that not only will give immediate relief to so many of us who've been hurting so badly and the, the money set to hit the bank accounts tomorrow, but this law is estimated to cut child poverty in half in this country. And I just want for us to think about that for a minute. So how many people is this gonna affect? We know that more than four out of 10 children in America live in households that struggle to meet their basic expenses. In this, the wealthiest nation in the world, we know that between seven and 11 million people, children live in households in which they don't have enough to eat. And those stats came before COVID. Many people are saying now that the poverty rate has only increased dramatically since COVID started. And of course we know that poverty disproportionately affects black and Latino children because poverty rates are exacerbated by systemic inequalities that have been built into the fabric of this nation. But then this week, half 
the number of children who suffer in this way will now have their suffering alleviated. Half of them. This means a couple of things. Number one, we actually have the wherewithal as a nation to come together as a collective and do what's necessary to end needless human suffering. We have the means. What we've lacked all this time was the imagination and the political will. It also means that now we know what we can do. So we have to surmise that we're okay with the other half of those children in poverty staying there unless we act again now immediately to help them too, which we must in the days ahead. And finally, it means that we went into this pandemic praying that we would not come out of it the way that we went in. That this time was revealing fissures and, and failures that have long defined this country, but were too often too easy to ignore. And, and I wrote and we prayed and, and, and we all hoped that we would come out the other side ready to make the kind of real change that would transform this country, that this pain would serve to open our hearts and change us as a nation. And this moment is happening now. This isn't the moment of arriving in the promised land. We're not there yet. We have a long, long journey to go to get there. But this is a moment of recovenanting with one another. This is a moment of determining that our fate is actually tied up in one another and committing not only to a narrative arc that moves from grief to joy and from darkness to light, but also from alienation to partnership, to love, to shared purpose. So tonight, I just want to celebrate. It's not over yet, but we're on our way out. We're on our way out of this long, dark night. And after the loss and the dislocation and the brokenness and the grief and the anxiety and the uncertainty and the depression and the hardship, I do believe that when we emerge, we will build a world rooted in love. And I believe that this week we took some really important steps to getting there. Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar. Get eCar-LA.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things. Because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep.